kids, happy new year to you. Welcome to 2020. We're the year of consistency. Right? Right. Thank you for following along with the first season of Warehouse 13 and all that bonus episodes and just hanging with me as I continue this experiment. I appreciate it. Remember that you can follow me on Twitter at under underscore rated pod, Instagram, same handle, email me info.underrated at gmail.com. Please continue to rate and review and subscribe and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any of the episodes because as I have said many times before, it's going to be a more consistent year so you don't want to miss out on any of the new content. Today, I am coming at you with the first two episodes of season two of Warehouse 13. We are doing it. Yes. I don't know, y'all. Season two might be my favorite season. We'll see. Let's jump right into the first episode titled Time Will Tell. It was directed by our old friend Steven Sergic and written by Jack Henney, that son of a gun. Previously on Warehouse 13, season one happened. They basically show clips from the entirety of season one. So if you didn't watch season one, now you know. We pick up right where season one left off with Lena reversing the bronzing of a certain someone. Pete and Micah are looking around at the rubble of the umbilicus. There's a swirl of smoke and Artie is alive! As Mrs. F and the bodyguard are driving back to the warehouse, Mrs. F's bodyguard starts to cough smoke. Turns out he's the collateral damage of Artie using the phoenix. Apparently, it's always the hired help that has to die. Classic red shirt syndrome. Lena and the mystery guest join McPherson up on a cliffside somewhere behind the warehouse. There's always got to be another exit. I guess McPherson was expecting someone in the vicinity to die. So he definitely knew that Artie had the phoenix. McPherson tells the mystery guest, welcome to the future, as they get in the car and drive away. Title sequence. Alison Skaggs is now a series regular. Whoop whoop. Welcome back, girl. The next scene after the titles, we're in a South Dakota hospital where Artie has a dream sequence of Mrs. F. And she tells him that McPherson is playing the long game. I believe I said that last time as well. And again, I think it's just clever to extend McPherson into season two. It sets him up as a bigger threat and also gives us that connection to where season one doesn't just end and everything is wrapped up in a pretty bow. It kind of lets you know that this show isn't necessarily going to do that. And I think that's nice. Artie is headed to CERN because that's the only place that Claudia would go. If you remember, she left the warehouse and nobody knows where she is. So he's headed to CERN while the warehouse team is tracing McPherson's steps through the warehouse, starting at the bronze sector. While Artie is packing up and giving orders, Saul Rubinick does a great job of walking around the office and picking up random objects around the room. Now, to Artie, they clearly have specific purposes because there are a couple that he picks up and then shakes his head and puts back down. And it's just a great bit of business for Artie to do while he's explaining all this exposition to the team. And so I think Saul does a really good job of of selling that to the audience. Jack Kenny talked about how it was kind of a logistical nightmare to each time you cut back to Artie, he's in a different spot doing something different. So I can only imagine how long that took, but I think the payoff is worth it. Meanwhile, Lena has a vision of her reflection being Claudia and it shakes her up as you might expect when you remember that your reflection was somebody else. 
Pete and Micah head to the bronze sector and discover that H.G. Wells was debronzed. We see the return of the durational spectrometer. Yay! It's not very helpful. Pete finds a rat. Clearly, the warehouse has a little rodent issue, but that's about it. Back at Artie's office, Micah is really excited because the warehouse library has first editions of every book printed. And as the daughter of a bookstore owner and resident literature nerd, she's stoked. Pete makes a porn joke, wondering if the warehouse has first editions of everything ever printed. Don't mind Tess in the background chewing her little heart out. It's what she does best. Apparently, Warren would read H.G. Wells to Micah at night, and Pete makes a joke about how War of the Worlds is really soothing for a toddler. Pete and Micah head off to London, because as we've all learned, they don't really pay attention when Artie tells them to stay. There was a break-in at the H.G. Wells house, so that's where they head off to. As they are walking down one of the historic hallways, Jamie Murray walks past them, and I'm gonna try real hard not to geek out every time I talk about Jamie Murray, but it's going to be tough. Pete goes to make a move on Jamie Murray because why wouldn't you? And Micah has to re- has to remind him that they are working. Claudia does get to Switzerland and feels like someone's following her. And lo and behold, it's Artie, whom she knocks out. It's a good scene. Back at the hospital, Mrs. Frederick has visions of season one, and she wakes with a start. Pete and Micah are going through news clippings again. Again, friends, your historic newspaper should be digitized on your library website by this point. Don't do the work that Pete and Micah had to do 10 years ago. Look at your local library website for your historic newspaper searching. By this time, Pete and Micah have evacuated H.G. Wells' house after Pete has an unfortunate run-in with the H.G. impersonator. Jamie Murray tries to break into the house and is caught by Pete. They have a cute little embarrassing laugh. Back in the Switzerland alley, Artie tells Claudia to trust him. Huh? There's our theme. Trust. And I'm really glad that they went this route and didn't take the... Claudia could be a fugitive. Maybe she actually did it. Maybe she's a bad guy. I'm really glad they didn't do that. I think other shows probably would have extended that for at least an episode, but I'm really glad that they didn't because I think Artie and Claudia especially have done the work. It just makes sense for Artie to trust Claudia first and working with her before anything would make him turn against her. I think it would have to be really dire for him to do that. Now, That being said, Micah isn't so sure, but if you listen to the bonus episode, I think Micah is the last to trust and the last to see these people as family. True to the character, I think it makes sense that Micah would be more skeptical about Claudia's innocence. In true Pete fashion, he starts making out with Jamie Murray. We find out that her name is Helena, and that actually, this is H.G. Wells. What? Turns out, H.G. Wells is a woman. A hot woman who's good with a gun. Another side note, I have a picture of Pete at Tesla Point by Jamie Murray, signed by Eddie McClintock. I'm looking at it right now. This is where we find out that H.G. Wells apprenticed at Warehouse 12 and that she actually met Nikola Tesla at the Chicago World Fair in 1893. So she's the one who brought the Tesla gun to the warehouse. Micah confuses her with a cell phone. We find out that Pete's ringtone is C is for cookie. That seems appropriate. Which allows Micah to get the drop on her and Micah pulls a gun on HG. After that, they put HG in a chair in handcuffs 
and a hand caress that is gift across the world. Here's where the hand and eye contact between Micah and H.G. Wells launched a million fanfics, and I will tell you right now that I am firmly on Team Bearing and Wells, spoiler alert, but I just want you to understand the joy in my voice as this goes on. As they are interviewing H.G. Wells, they find out that apparently when you're bronzed, you are still conscious. Being bronzed gives you a lot of time to think. Pete and Micah try to warn H.G. about working with McPherson and say that McPherson will turn on her. And H.G. responds that men always do because they are Neanderthals. See the connection right there. Oh, man. Good stuff. Through a Rube Goldbergian puzzle... H.G. gets Pete and Micah to open up a secret chamber that has a vest, a very steampunky looking vest in it. After Pete throws a switch, Pete and Micah get yanked up into the sky, get stuck on the ceiling, and H.G. escapes the handcuffs because she has that skill. And handcuffs haven't changed in 100 years. Apparently, H.G. is wearing specially made magnetic boots, and that's why she did not get hauled up onto the ceiling. Pete and Micah try to find out why H.G. was bronze, but she refuses to tell them, and she just says that the world was different, that people could believe in a time sh- in a time machine, but not that a woman could come up with that idea. Actually, H.G.'s brother Charles provided the face for the novels that H.G. did the research for and came up with. Back at CERN, Josh is walking with a disguised McPherson with an antimatter briefcase, and it's just so convenient that the briefcase actually says antimatter on it. I wonder how true that is. Claudia rushes them, grabs the thimble off of McPherson so that he's exposed. McPherson pushes Josh over a railing. Josh falls really painful looking on just the series of tubes that are there, which lets McPherson get away with the antimatter briefcase. Micah figures out that they are caught by Cavorite, which is an anti-gravity metal that Wells wrote about in her books. Pete tessels a light and that disrupts the electricity field and releases them. And they crash, literally crash onto the floor. Over a Farnsworth call, Claudia finds out that the vest that HG had is actually the imperceptor vest, and it allows a person to move fast enough to be imperceptible to the human eye, and it needs the antimatter to actually power up. And Artie figures out that they need it to get through the Escher vault. New warehouse section, alert! The Escher vault is where all of the personal effects of people who are bronzed are stored, and apparently if you go in there without any way of getting through it, you could get lost and not come out. Mrs. Frederick is at the B&B with Lena, and she grabs hold of Lena, and there's this effect where Lena's eyes look old. Apparently, they were supposed to look like McPherson's eyes. That didn't work out. I know I've been watching a lot of Star Wars, but her eyes just looked very Palpatine to me. We get it. She's been affected. She's not herself. Then Mrs. F, then Mrs. F chokes out Lena. Cool. H.G. and McPherson are back at Warehouse 13. McPherson explains that his necklace keeps his blood from eating through his veins. Convenient. The vest works and doesn't kill H.G. And I just want to point out that neither one of them knew whether the vest would kill her or not. So that is the level of crazy that we are operating at that they just didn't know and just threw caution to the wind. 
Apparently, an agent has been lost in the Escher vault for 20 years, and McPherson says to HG that he hopes she doesn't run into him. So after some teamwork hijinks, everybody converges onto the Escher vault. Micah uses the thimble to pretend to be HG, which which lets Pete handcuff McPherson. The real HG comes out of the vault, cuts the necklace off of McPherson, and then runs away. We get actually kind of a touching scene as McPherson's blood is eating through his veins that he was the one to put the phoenix in Artie's pocket because he wanted Artie to see what he saw, which was darkness. And Artie says he saw light and that he felt hope. McPherson had it wrong. It is actually a touching moment between Artie and McPherson, these former partners. As we are wrapping things up, Claudia is mad at Lena for basically thiefing her identity but Artie makes it better by giving Claudia Farnsworth's Farnsworth and it is really sharp looking. It's black with gold details. The other Farnsworths are cool but this one is definitely the coolest. Mrs. F and Artie go to the vault to see what HG stole and apparently there are some special steampunky goggles that you can wear that let you through walk through the vault and it turns out that HG just stole her locket her ring, and a compact. The last scene is HG, now in modern clothes, sitting at a cafe, working on something she's been thinking about a very long time. And that is the first episode back. McPherson is dead. New villain, HG Wells, who is a woman? What are we gonna do? As with other things in this ep- in this show, I think McPherson gets wrapped up very quickly. Could have been explored a little bit more, but I think Roger Reese's time was limited. I think he was touring with another show. He was doing some stage stuff. And so I think circumstances kind of led his storyline to be finished quicker, maybe, than it could have been, should have been. But trade-off is we get bigger, badder villain H.G. Wells. We get a villain who knows the warehouse, knows how it works, so that's interesting. She seemingly doesn't have a personal connection to anybody at the warehouse yet. She clearly has a plan, and I think just by showing that, one, she is willing to maybe sacrifice herself because she wasn't sure the Imperceptor vest was going to work, And two, she's willing to sacrifice other people vis-a-vis killing McPherson. So I think that makes her a bigger threat than McPherson. And that seems right. Because as your team gets stronger, as your heroes get stronger, you want your villains to get stronger. As we will see, HG proves to be a formidable opponent, even more so than McPherson. The Claudia being angry at Lena storyline is a little disingenuous for me just because Claudia wanted so much for people to trust her. I think, I don't know, maybe I'm just not in the right frame of mind. I think she would be a little more willing to forgive someone else who had been whammied by an artifact, but she's young. She feels like other people at the warehouse maybe don't trust her as much, so she feels vulnerable. Maybe that motivated her. That brings us to episode two, Mild Mannered. This one was directed by Constantine Macris, 
who won an award for directing Law and Order and has directed 30 Rock, Orange is the New Black, a whole bunch of stuff. Consummate TV director. It was written by our old friends Benjamin Rabb and Derek Hughes. They wrote on the episode Duped. They're staff writers, and they also write for comics. So it kind of makes sense that they would be the lead writers on this one. The previously section is episode one. So if you didn't see episode one, that's what you missed. We open with Pete and Micah walking down the Unavail Main Street as Pete is trying to be friendly to everyone that he passes and Micah is trying to tell him to just give it up. They go to the post office and actually pick up their belongings after six months. It took six months to get Micah's personal belongings to the post office. Pete's have not arrived yet. We find out that Micah's middle name starts with an O and this will be an episode long gag of Pete trying to guess what it is. Claudia is avoiding Lena at the warehouse because she is still upset that Lena took her identity. Artie wants them to put up new motion detectors because isn't that what we do? We get threatened, someone comes through, and so security gets beefed up. Classic cat and mouse game. Claudia tries to make the argument that HG did them a favor by killing McPherson, and Artie replies that killing is never a favor. I think that's kind of rich coming from someone who consciously bronzes people when he knows they are conscious. It's basically condemning someone to solitary confinement for eternity, and I don't know if that's better. Your mileage may vary on that, but I have a difficult time with that. There's a ping in Detroit, Michigan. Someone has been catching bad guys and leaving them tied up, and basically in comas for the police to find. Lena stumbles and rubs her temple, so that's definitely not going to come back at all. And Artie sees a vision of McPherson. Everyone is doing great. Side note, Claudia's hair streak is green in this episode, and I believe that means she will not be a part of any special effects. Jack Henney talked about, talked earlier about how difficult it is to do special effects around Claudia when she has a streak of green in her hair because it disrupts the green screen, as you might imagine. So look for that. There will be no special effects around Claudia Donovan this episode. Pete and Micah stop at Loretta's, where it's Kaylee and Simon, aka Jewel State and Sean Marr. From Firefly fame, the nerd guests. They are a part of this Detroit neighborhood watch, and Simon, Sean Marr, we find out his name is Sheldon. Um, he says that they haven't seen anything, which makes Officer Kessman, who has been the first responder to all of the instances, their number one suspect. Pete takes two pieces of pie for their stakeout of Officer Kessman. Micah wipes Pete's mouth off and he tries to keep guessing her middle name. I don't know if that was an ad lib, but I just thought that was really cute when Micah wiped off Pete's mouth because it is such, such a thing. It's so not even like you don't even think about it. You just do it. Kessman gets a call over his radio, so they chase him down and at, they run into this masked man in a purple suit who actually throws a bad guy. Micah asks who that masked man was, and Pete responds that that was a superhero. Titles! Apparently, the masked man was the Iron Shadow, the ultimate urban samurai. And of course, Pete knows all about it, and is the number one Iron Shadow fan. Back at Loretta's, we learn that Sheldon was robbed in his house. 
and that Loretta does not have an artifact in her safe. When asked what he would do with superpowers, Pete makes his second mention of Ralph Brunsky. So clearly, Ralph was a real thorn in the side of middle school Pete's. This leads them to the local comic shop because you always got to find out where the nerds are, right? As they are digging and talking to the comic shop owner, who of course hits on Micah, it turns out that Sheldon actually quoted the Iron Shadows mantra earlier. Artie tries to give an artifact explanation for why he's been seeing McPherson, which leads to Rasputin's prayer rope. Interesting. As Pete and Micah confront Sheldon, he gets away... Micah figures out that he's altering his density. Claudia, Artie, and Lena have a goo scrubber. So this is a new tool. It basically looks like a hand-cranked clothes washer from, what would that be, like the 40s? Apparently, it is super good for gooing psychically triggered artifacts. After they throw their prayer rope in, Claudia confronts Lena about how... Claudia almost lost her family, and Lena says that Claudia is not the only one. They don't resolve anything, but at least they are starting to talk about it. Lena explains that McPherson succeeded in making the team lose trust in each other. Again, this is why I say trust is going to be a theme this season. And lo and behold, it turns out McPherson is still around. As Pete and Micah are talking to Claudia about objects that could cause Sheldon to be able to change his density. Claudia says that there's the belt of Jacob Kurtzberg, aka Jack Kirby, that alters density and gives enhanced strength. And that's not at the warehouse, so they figure that must be the artifact. Sheldon shows up at Loretta's, looks like he's running a little bit of a fever, and Pete and Micah show up. Because as Pete figured out, Loretta is basically Sheldon's lowest lane. I never realized how quickly travel happens on this show because Claudia shows up basically 30 seconds later with a bodysuit and Claudia-invented gloves that should counteract any of the power that Sheldon has. And again, I never realized that people just kind of travel as quickly as they need to on this show, but so it is. The suit causes impotence, so Micah is the one who's going to wear it because Pete refuses. Also, do we think Eddie has something in his contract about how he needs to be shirtless at least one episode? Because he got his shirt off awfully quick to put on the suit, and it happens fairly often. Lena has to explain feelings to Artie, and that maybe McPherson isn't artifact-induced, but maybe he has some guilt or leftover, you know, emotions about McPherson. After that, she stumbles and kind of fades in and out again. Claudia tracks Sheldon to the factory where he used to be an automotive engineer. An automotive engineer is awfully like a spaceship engineer, don't you think? For those of you who have not watched Firefly, the character that Jewel State, aka Loretta, aka Kaylee played was the engineer of their spaceship. Just a little Easter egg for you. So Sheldon's powers are going crazy, and Micah walks out to an amazing rock song in slow motion, wearing the suit and the gloves, looking like a boss. Let's all ignore where those boots came from, because they look good. Turns out that the belt is not in fact the artifact, but the trunks are. So Pete has to go and basically pants Sheldon. Claudia snags and bags the trunks. 
Pete and Micah decide to let Sheldon go, and as Micah explains, an artifact took him over, and he hurt someone that he loves. And I think we can forgive that, right? Right. She's, you know, explaining being a grown-up to Claudia. She gets it. Artie calls up McPherson's B&B room from the agent vault, and McPherson left a letter for Artie. As Artie says that he didn't want McPherson gone, he wanted McPherson back. Even in his most curmudgeonly, Artie still had hope of turning McPherson around and bringing him back into the warehouse fold. A story of redemption, perhaps, for a villain? Keep it in the back of your mind. The ghost of McPherson reads the letter out loud, and McPherson gives Artie a pocket watch that the two had apparently argued over. Claudia apologizes in a way to Lena. They seem to be okay. And then Lena gets her third tremor and calls Mrs. F. As Pete and Micah are putting back the trunks, we see a few other superhero items. We see a green bow, a Norse hammer, and a purple umbrella. I'm not really sure about that umbrella one. Micah kind of gets fed up with Pete's guessing and says that her middle name is actually Ophelia. Pete, of course, makes a boobs joke because he can't help himself. Back at the B&B, say that three times fast, Micah apparently orchestrated getting Pete a TV and it looks like an Xbox just until his stuff comes in. And she also managed to snag Iron Shadow issue number 46, the only one that he didn't have in his comics collection. Aw, because they get each other. And when Micah asks him if this place is starting to feel like home, Pete says it's better than home. This episode is what I'm talking about when I say that season two is going to use the characters to move the plot forward. So season one, it was a lot of artifact-driven stuff, the world kind of pushing these characters forward. And here we see that the characters are in the forefront of driving the action. So Pete's knowledge of comic books helps with the artifact, but then Micah, Micah's knowledge of Pete moves the team forward as far as this place, the warehouse, the B&B, feeling like home and bringing that little bit of trust back to the team because Lena, Claudia, and Artie are also part of the TV reveal. And so it's just this part, uh, this little part of bonding coming back to the team. We also start to get a few more layers of characters. So Artie gets his chance here that to show that he and McPherson are tied together, whether McPherson is alive or not, and that Artie is not just a grumpy bear. He actually believes in the team and likes that and has that connection. And this is also part of why he has a hard time connecting to Pete and Micah at the beginning. He doesn't want to go through another heartbreak like McPherson. The A plot in this episode is actually... I guess what what would be considered the A-plot, the artifact hunt, I think is actually the boring part of this episode because it's pretty clear that Sheldon is the one with the artifact and they're going to snag, bag, and tag it. I think it's more interesting the relationship building that Claudia and Lena have to do and go through and how Artie has to tackle his guilt, his feelings, over McPherson, and it's going to set up how Artie deals with other threats to the warehouse in the future, and I think that is going to be interesting 
especially when we talk about generations of warehouse agents, because I think Micah is, I think it's pretty obvious that Micah is set up as the next Artie. And so their parallels as far as characters and reactions to events are going to be interesting to follow. So put that in the back of your mind, because when I first watched this, I didn't pick up on it. But now that I'm seeing it for the third time, I'm slow on the uptake, okay? Now that I'm seeing it for the third time and taking notes and watching it more closely, I can start to see these parallels come out. And I think that just adds to the layers of this show. I don't have an artifact for you this week because I think we covered quite a few over the last couple episodes. So just revel in the fact that the warehouse has a scrubber, there's an Escher vault, the Romanoffs used Rasputin's prayer rope to keep the concept of him being alive, alive. And I will have an artifact for you next time, I am sure. All right, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow me on all the social media, and I will see you next time. Peace, nerds.